Section 7 of Lancashire Characters and Places by Thomas Newbigging. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rossendale, Past and Present From an almost profitless tract of country, the forest of Rossendale, within a period of less than 400 years, has grown to be a flourishing and important section of the county palatine. Previous to and at the time of the Norman Conquest, the four forests of Pendle, Trawden, Rossendale and Accrington were embraced in the general name of the Forest of Blackburnshire, and though the different divisions of that forest were probably well known by their distinctive appellations, we may form a fair estimate of the limited extent of occupation and cultivation throughout this portion of the county of Lancaster in those remote times, from a consideration of the significant and interesting fact that the broad and far-extending woodlands, were so dovetailed one into the other as to justify the title which included them all in one vast wide-reaching forest. The area of the whole is about 76.5 square miles, or 48,945 statute acres. The superficial extent of Rossendale, which is the largest of the four, being about 32 square miles, or 20,305 statute acres, inclusive of the portion situated in the township of Spotland. Its great moor, Hamilton Hill, Cribden Hill, Coop Law, Brandwood Moor and Tooter Hill. The booths, called Musbury and Yate and Pickup Bank, though detached from Rossendale proper and lying outside of the boundary specified, are nevertheless reckoned as part of the forest. The ancient chase or forest of Rossendale has no Roman history. No remains Roman in character, with the exception of the road through Musbury leading to Ribchester, so far as has yet been ascertained, have ever been discovered within its boundaries. Whilst that powerful race, the inhabitants of the ancient mistress of the world, remarkable for their proficiency alike in the arts of war and peace, have left behind them in neighbouring localities abundant memorials of their presence and possession, it would seem as though Rossendale has held out no inducements to tempt them to its fastnesses or to lead any of them to select it as their place of habitation. The uncivilised Britons, who doubtless constituted its first inhabitants, scant in number and barbarous in their social and domestic habits, and in their religious customs, were probably permitted by the Roman invaders of the island to remain unmolested in their primitive retreat. Equally wanting is Rossendale in early British relics, if the religious rites and ceremonies of our half-naked and painted ancestors were ever performed within the glades of the forest, the monumental remains of their druidical worship have disappeared in the long centuries which have elapsed since their occupation of the land. But it is safe to conclude that the forest was too sparsely populated ever to have been selected as the site of the imposing and often cruel religious pageants of our barbarian forefathers. Their dwellings, generally of the rudest construction, were not calculated to survive the storms of time, or even the less formidable influences of the changeful seasons. These, therefore, have also perished, leaving behind them no trace of their existence. The natural features of a country or a district are its most permanent monuments, and if we turn to the hills and other localities comprised within, or bordering upon the district under consideration, we find that many of their present names, as for example Crag, Cridden or Cribden, Cliviger, Hamilton, are of British origin. That the forest of Rossendale was the resort, 
probably for centuries both before and after the roman era of wild animals of different kinds is sufficiently attested by names which exist to the present time the wild boar tribe has left behind it tokens of its presence deeper and more ineffaceable than the marks of its warlike tusks upon the trees of its favourite haunts there is no mistaking the parentage of such names as boarsgreave hogshead sowclough and swinshaw the wolf ferocious and cowardly has disappeared from its lurking place in the forest but there are still retained the evidences of its occupation in the names wolfenden wolfenden booth and wolfstones that a species of wild oxen ranged the hills and hollows where now domestic animals graze is proved by remains of horns and bones from time to time disentombed from the debris deposited in the valleys by the mountain streams whose courses have been diverted or whose beds have been narrowed and appropriated to other uses the different varieties of the deer tribe it is well known were denizens of the forest and no doubt supplied both food and raiment to the partially clothed human inhabitants in this and surrounding neighbourhoods names having reference to the deer and its kindred are plentiful throughout the district there is deer play stacksteads stagsteads staghills cridden or cribden which says the historian of wally is pretty obviously Rudon, the hill of stags it is precisely such an elevation as that animal affects during the heat of summer while the fallow deer graze on the plains or slopes beneath and it might continue to merit an appellation acquired in the remotest ages of antiquity till within less than three centuries of the present time bacop or bacop the cop or hillock according to the same authority where the deer stood at bay rockliffe or rather rowcliffe as it is given in ancient documents the cliff that afforded shelter to or was the favourite haunt of the roebuck staghills harthill buckearth and others wild animals of an inferior class were also plentiful such as the badger the otter the fox the wildcat and the weasel and in regard to the ubiquitous squirrel it is affirmed that without once touching terra firma it could traverse the forest leaping from bough to bough of the thick intermingling trees from rottenstall to its extreme eastern limits at sharneyford rossendale is not rich in relics but for extent and importance the dyke or dykes at broadclough near bacup eclipse a multitude of lesser remains to be found in other localities the work is described by dr whitaker as an entrenchment to which no tradition is annexed that may serve to ascertain either its antiquity or the end it was designed to answer the same monument of antiquity is alluded to in a paper entitled the battle of brunanborough and the probable locality of the conflict by mr t t wilkinson who remarks that its construction can only have been suggested by temporary necessities since it has evidently been abandoned in an unfinished state the work extends from the farm called dyke's house to the edge of whitaker's clough but is not continuous throughout its entire length being obliterated or levelled in the centre for a considerable space the entrance to the north-easterly end being through a cleft or cutting in the earthwork i am not aware that any considerable relics have been found within the forest which would connect the district more immediately with the military presence of the saxons and danes but this may have arisen for want of the frequent use of the plough in the fields 
So strong, however, are the probabilities in favour of the conjecture that the dyke constituted a portion of the line of defensive works in connection with the great battle strife of Brunnenborough, that it is not at all unlikely some other memorials of the time may yet be discovered in the locality. The beacon remains on the neighbouring hills, which may have been successively used by Britons, Romans, Saxons and Danes, are highly interesting monuments of antiquity. The one on Thievely Pike is distinctly marked, and is a complete circle in the form of a basin, the circumference round the centre of the embankment being about eighty feet. Many of the stones within the ring and in the immediate vicinity bear evident marks of having been charred or scorched by fire. On a clear day, a magnificent view is obtained from the pike, embracing to the west, Hamilton Hill, and the country stretching far beyond to the Irish Sea, to the north-west Pendle Hill, Ingleborough, and Penny Ghent, while due north are Worsthorn and Beadle Hill, to the east Black Hamilton, and inclining a little further south, Stoodley Pike, more southerly still, Tooter Hill below Sharniford, and the bleak profile of Blackston Edge, while nearly due south are Coop Law, Cribden, Musbury Tor, Holcombe Hill, and beyond, the great plain of Lancashire. Occupying as it does a central position, the beacon lights of Thievely would blazon forth their ominous signals, and answering fires would soon flare on every surrounding hill. This is no vague unsubstantial picture of the imagination. The existing vestiges of occupation by one or other, or all of the primitive tribes in succession, speak a language that can scarcely be misunderstood. The river Irwell takes its rise in Cliviger, in a large tract of moorland, which at one time constituted a part of the forest. Owing, however, to the carelessness or indifference of the proprietors residing in Bacup Booth, or probably to the superior cunning or unscrupulousness of those of Cliviger, this extensive tract was lost to Rossendale, and became a part of Cliviger. The pack road, called the Limer's Gate, winds along the Rossendale side of the Cliviger Ridge, and from thence away onward over the hill to Yorkshire. This is one of the most ancient roads in the locality, and in past times was the favourite route from the west across the country to the adjoining counties. Being travelled not only by the common people, but by the ecclesiastics and nobles of the land, in all the pomp of ancient dignity, and with the train of followers and retainers, who in bygone days more than at present, constantly hovered near the footsteps of those born to high estate. It is in the immediate vicinity of this ancient track, now so overgrown with grass and brown heath, as scarcely to be distinguished from the other parts of the moor, that the river Irwell takes its rise, and we may with propriety assume that its neighbourhood would be a familiar and welcome halting place for man and beast. Rossendale, from time immemorial, has been a favourite hunting ground, and there are, doubtless, still to be found in the forest, sportsmen as stout of heart and lithe of limb as ever cleared dyke or ditch in the blithe days of yore. But alas, the quality of the sportsman's game has woefully degenerated from its pristine excellence. Gone from within its bounds is that right royal brute, the stag. The wild boar and the wolf have given place to a civilization which tolerates not their existence. Even the wily fox has disappeared from its hillsides, and no frugal housewife now laments her spoliated hen-roost. The timid hare alone remains to kindle the huntsman's enthusiasm and wake the volid thunder of the eager pack. 
the deans of wally like other ancient and dignified ecclesiastics says whitaker were mighty hunters and enjoyed the right of chase firstly to a considerable extent in other manners adjoining to their own domains and secondly within the forest themselves it is narrated of lulfus one of the deans of wally that whilst hunting in the forest of rossendale at a place called deansgreave he cut off the tail of a wolf and in consequence of this incident acquired the appellation of cutwolf being afterwards known by the name of lulfus cutwolf this circumstance happened about the reign of king canute ten sixteen to ten thirty five in whose time the aforementioned dean lived the disforesting of the forest which was decreed and commenced during the latter years of the reign of henry the seventh and completed in the reign of henry the eighth in conformity with the express desire of the inhabitants is the time from which we must date the beginning of the progress of the district the disforesting is thus referred to in a decree of the chancellor of the duchy of the county of lancaster of the fourth year of edward the sixth whereas it appears by a bill of supplication of the inhabitants of rossendale that the forest of rossendale forty-four years ago or thereabouts being replenished with a few and small number of people or in manner none at that time did inhabit other than the foresters and such other as were appointed to and for the oversight of the deer and that the late excellent princes and kings of worthy and famous memory king henry the seventh and king henry the eighth by the advice of their most honourable councils most generously considered that if the deer were taken out of and from the said forest that then the same was like to come and be brought and applied to some good purpose as the commonwealth might be increased thereby and therefore the said kings gave in commandment and caused not only that the said deer should be killed and destroyed but also that the ground within the said forest should be letten out to such of the inhabitants as would take the same and had made thereof to the intent the same forest might for the great increase of god's glory and the commonwealth of this realm be inhabited and by force thereof and to that intent the said forest was disforested and granted demised and let forth in diverse sorts some part for term of years and part to hold by couple of court roll after which leases and grants as is aforesaid had and made the said inhabitants and takers thereof have edified and builded houses and tents within the said forest and have inhabited the same so that where before that time was nothing else but deer and other savage and wild beasts there is since then by the industry and labour of the inhabits grown to be a very good and fertile ground and the same at this day has become very populous and well inhabited and replenished with a great number of people at the period mentioned above the castle and church of clitheroe was the parish church of the inhabitants of the forest and to this they had resort until the time of the building of the original chapel at new church these circumstances are thus referred to in the same documents as follows the way leading between the said parish church at clitheroe and the said forest is very foul painful and hillous and the country in the wintry season is so extremely and vehemently cold that the children and young infants in that time of the year being born to the church to be christened are in great peril of their lives and almost starved with cold the aged and impotent persons and women great with child are not able to travail so far to hear the word of god and to learn and be instructed therein to do their duties to god and to their king and the dead corpses there like to lie and remain unburied 
at such time as any that doth die and depart this world for lack of carriage until such time as great annoyance do grow to the king's subjects there by reason that the said parish church is so far distant from the said forest and the ways so foul and whereas also before this time the premises considered the inhabitants of the said forest about the space of thirty-eight years past or thereabouts at their own proper cost and charges made a chapel of ease in the said forest of rossendale the charges of every of them in the said chapel hath been made from time to time to an honest minister who hath with all diligence ministered to the said inhabitants there in the said chapel god's most holy word it was accordingly decreed by the chancellor and council of the duchy that the inhabitants of the forest should from thenceforth have use and enjoy the said chapel together with a parcel of ground enclosed and environed with a hedge called the chapel yard for ever the original chapel at newchurch which is the one referred to above was erected in the year fifteen eleven being the second year of the reign of henry the eighth the structure was of meagre dimensions and humble in character suited to the wants and worldly estate of a scanty and not wealthy people in the year fifteen sixty the third of the reign of elizabeth the original building having become inadequate to the accommodation of a rapidly increasing population was taken down and replaced by a more substantial erection this latter served for a period of two hundred and sixty three years when becoming dilapidated it was in the year eighteen twenty four to five rebuilt and enlarged a legend is current concerning the original church of second henry the eighth it would appear that the intention of the founders was to build it on or near to the site of the late workhouse at mitchelfield nook about a mile distant and that the material for the structure was deposited at that place when one morning it was discovered that the whole had been transported overnight by some unseen power to the hillside on which the church stands not to be diverted from their purpose the inhabitants again conveyed the materials to the place which they had originally fixed upon and appointed a watch to frustrate any further attempts at removal but one night as the watch slumbered at his post an enchanted sleep probably the unseen hands had again been busy with similar results a third time the materials were deposited on the chosen site and on this occasion three of the inhabitants appointed to keep watch and ward as these sat toasting their noses at a wood fire they had kindled an old lady with a kindly countenance coming past saluted them with a pleasant good e'en at the same time offering them each a share of some refreshment which she carried this they had no sooner partaken of than a profound drowsiness overtook them ending in a deep and protracted sleep from which in the morning they were aroused by the shouts of the bewildered rustics who came only to find that the pranks had a third time been repeated so yielding to the decision of a power which was not to be outmanoeuvred the builders erected the church on its present site as the manners and customs of society undergo change new officers are called into existence to suit the altered conditions of men and property while dignitaries of ancient note who were once considered to be indispensable for the due administration of the affairs of the times gradually withdraw from our sight to exist only by name in the archives of the past but not only do offices once important become in the lapse of time altogether obsolete the duties of some of those which continue to exist change 
or are greatly modified by the fleeting manners of each succeeding age. These remarks are specially applicable to the office of grave, grieve, or reeve, an important functionary here in days of yore, and wielding a considerable share of authority within his jurisdiction. Before the introduction of the magistracy into the district, when guardians of the poor, as we now understand the term, had no existence therein, and when local boards and municipalities were unknown, Rossendale was governed by one of these officers, who bore the title of Grieve of the Forest. The duties of the Grieve were of the most onerous and responsible kind, but they also descended to matters the most trivial and unimportant. Nothing seems to have been too weighty for him to undertake, nothing too insignificant to claim his attention. The volume containing the accounts of the Grieve of the Forest from the year 1691 down to 1820 is still preserved at Newchurch, and from this we learn that he was the taxing officer and bang-beggar of the district. At one time we find him closely engaged in tracking the footsteps, or in collecting evidence for the prosecution of some notorious criminal. At another he is relieving the necessities of a poor half-starved tramp on his way to Yorkshire, or it might be to Liverpool in the opposite direction. Now he is taking measures to ascertain the number, and prepare a return accordingly, of all the able-bodied men within the forest, capable of serving the King his Majesty, in his most just and holy wars. And again he is providing a brank or bridle for scolding women, or giving instructions for the repair of the stocks at Crawshaw Booth, or Bacup, or of the guide-post at four-lane ends. One day he is superintending the erection of a dungeon at one of the villages. On another he is ordering a staff or truncheon, and a pair of steel ruffles, handcuffs, for the use of the village constable. The precepts of the high constable of the hundred were all addressed to the grieve, who levied the rates and was responsible for the proportionate share required to be contributed by the forest towards the county expenses. The fulfilment of the office of grieve, which was by no means a sinecure, seems not to have been optional. The person nominated was bound to serve either personally or by deputy. Though the best families of the district were nominally the greaves of the forest, they seldom performed the drudgery of the office. The plan of hiring a deputy, and sometimes two, was generally resorted to, and it frequently happened that one person discharged the duties for several consecutive years, being hired by different greaves in succession. The greave was nominated by the principal landowners in the locality, his appointment taking place at the Halmot Court of the Lord of the Manor, held on Michaelmas Day in each year. Of late years this officer's duties have been much circumscribed, being limited to a periodical attendance at the Halmot Court, and the summoning of juries for the transaction of business appertaining thereto. The inhabitants of the forest of Rossendale are proverbial for their shrewd enterprising character. Possessing largely the faculty of acquiring and accumulating money, they combine therewith the gift of a wise economy in spending it. With praiseworthy industry, they have surrounded their firesides with those material comforts which are denied by nature to the unfruitful soil of their district, and yet to charge nature with withholding her bountiful hand were ungenerous. The abundant supply of coal, the almost inexhaustible mines of excellent stone which crop out on every slope, and the numberless streams that travel down the hillsides to the bosom of the ample valley below, all these nature has bestowed on Rossendale with lavish prodigality, 
and all have contributed to raise her to her present importance as a manufacturing district. There is little of what is called ancient blood in the locality. A few of the oldest families can trace their ancestors back through two or three centuries, but the chief men of wealth and position have risen from the ranks. The spirit of absenteeism has never prevailed to any extent amongst those who have amassed fortunes in the district, and this is one key to its success and growing importance. They live as a rule in the locality, and many of them take an active interest in its progress. The numerous tasteful residences which adorn the hillsides, and whose cultivated grounds neatly laid out and planted, relieve the landscape, are evidences of a healthy state of society, and of a prevailing desire that the prosperity of the ancient forest shall be as permanent as it has been rapid. Rossendale, as I first remember it, forty years ago, was in some respects different to the Rossendale of today. Its population at that time was only one half of what it is at present, and the district was altogether more rural and sylvan in character. The introduction of the railway about that period was the beginning of a revolution which is still in progress. Increase of population and improved carrying and travelling facilities have their advantages in the enhanced value of land and other property which results. But they have their drawbacks also, and whilst submitting to, and even welcoming the inevitable, we are constrained to bewail, with Mr. Ruskin, the havoc that is wrought in Arcadia when trade and manufactures prevail. As is said of the Oldham district, so with equal truth it may be said of Rossendale, that here they grow factory chimneys instead of trees. But notwithstanding the presence of the numerous tall chimneys, there are some charming bits of scenery in Rossendale. Amongst these may be mentioned the view of the Waterfoot and Hareholm Valley, and the village of Newchurch, obtained from the opposite hillsides below Coop Law, of the Dean Valley from Seat Nays, or from the ridge above Broadclough, and the Sunnyside and Crawshaw Booth Valley from the slopes of Chapel Hill, but indeed the panorama that extends on every side, as viewed from any of the hill summits in the district, is of an agreeable and imposing character. The constant presence of hills with all the associations connected with their venerable antiquity is an ever-abiding source of interest and wonder to the thoughtful dweller in their midst. As the scars and ridges on the human face lend character to the man, so do the hills and valleys give character to a district. We feel that there is such of history there as no extent of level plain, however interminable, can contribute. Rossendale is essentially a manufacturing valley. Its agricultural capabilities are not such as to attract the husbandman or adequately to repay him for his toil. Its prevailing formation being rock and its soil of a clayey character, it possesses but few of those features of beneficent vegetation so grateful to the eye which distinguish the limestone and some other districts. Dairy farming is the only class of agriculture which is profitable here. The trade of the district is a subject of interest. In the latter years of the reign of Henry VIII, the woollen manufacture was introduced into the district, and during a period of about 300 years formed the staple trade. The chief goods produced in this industry are bases, and of recent years felted carpets have been extensively made. The printing of these and some few woven goods forming an important item in the local industry. The trade of silk weaving was at one time, near the beginning of the present century, 
followed to some extent in Rossendale, as was also the manufacture of ginghams, a fabric having a cotton warp and linen weft. But this never assumed proportions of any great magnitude, and at the present time is not found anywhere in the locality. The cotton manufacture was destined to take deeper root in the district. To the introduction of this branch of manufactures, more than to all the other causes combined, is undoubtedly due the remarkable increase which has taken place in the population of Rossendale within the present century. To the development of this trade are also to be attributed the accumulation of wealth in many hands, the greatly augmented value of the rateable property, and the advancement of the inhabitants in material prosperity and comfort. It is probable that the cotton manufacture, which began to assume importance in this country about the middle of the 17th century, did not find its way into Rossendale till near the end of the century following. It is not easy to determine with certainty the exact date when cotton first began to be worked in the district. There is, however, good reason to believe that no cotton goods were produced here prior to the year 1770. At the present time, the capital invested in this branch of industry exceeds two million pound, a surprising result, truly, when it is remembered that at one time, within the memory of persons still living, the whole of the cotton consumed in Rossendale was brought into the district on the backs of pack horses. A large business is carried on in calico printing and dyeing, and more recently the trade of slipper-making has been introduced, and has already attained to important dimensions. Rossendale has borne a conspicuous and honourable part in furthering the cooperative movement, and in future years this will count for something in its history. Stone abounds in the district in considerable variety, and of excellent quality, being durable and of a good colour. Prior to 1848, the trade in this mineral was of very limited extent, being confined chiefly to the immediate district. Since that year, however, the trade has been gradually increasing, and at the present time it gives employment to a large number of workmen, skilled and otherwise, and absorbs a considerable amount of capital. The stone which is suitable for all ordinary building and engineering purposes is obtained from the quarries in the district, from blocks of many tons weight each, and of almost unlimited length, width and depth, for any practical purpose, down to grey slates, half an inch in thickness. Some of the varieties for appearance and durability are not to be surpassed in any district. Coal also is abundant, and has probably been got in quantities less or more for about three hundred years. Old workings regarding which no records are known to exist are often met with in the mines at present being worked. Some of these are of considerable extent. Rude implements of labour, chiefly wooden shovels, are occasionally met with in these deserted excavations. Such was the forest of Rossendale in the past. Such is Rossendale in the present day. And in view of the facts, we must be ready to commend the foresight of those who, 380 years ago, expressed the belief that, if the deer were taken out and from the said forest, that then the same was likely to come and be brought and applied to some good purpose, so as that the commonwealth might be increased thereby. End of chapter 7